Brett Jones from Relationship Warrior Podcast, the podcast for married entrepreneurs who want it all across marriage, money, and mindset. So welcome everyone to our next satsang and I'm very, very pleased to uh, say that I have a very close friend of mine, uh, Calvin Coyles, joining us today. So Calvin uh, is a very uh, interesting, I was going to say young man, but he's certainly getting, getting on these days, he's no longer young. And uh, Calvin and I met a long, long time ago and the reason that I asked Calvin to come on to this satsang is to let you see into his personal journey uh, of his life, but also a life that he's, you know, devoted to making a difference and helping others. And what led him to that place and how he sort of found that purpose uh, for himself. So Calvin, uh, welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Brett. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to be with us. Time to you. Share, share this time with us. So let's go back a little bit, Calvin, uh, to the early days. What was it like um, in your life growing up? What happened for you? Yeah, yeah. well, first of all, it was wonderful to be here. And uh, any time I get to connect with you is always a, a privilege and, and a pleasure. So thank you for your support in my journey as well. I wouldn't be here speaking to you if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Um, my journey, uh, I had a beautiful childhood. I was born in the northeast of England in a place called Sunderland. Uh, which is uh, which is not not the uh, the most exciting place. You don't you certainly don't see any Instagram influencers going there. Put it that way. Um, but my my grandparents made a decision when I was about three or four, and they made a decision to move to Australia. And they did that because they they anticipated that the UK was going to get worse, not better, and that the life that they wanted to create, they wanted a better life for their grandchildren, of which I was the first, and I just my sister had just been born. So I come over to Australia when I'm four. Um, you know, we had a very normal childhood in a lot of ways, you know, that the sort of lower middle class and, uh, you know, I went to a great little school and, you know, we didn't afford the normal uniforms, but, you know, we got by and dad was a salesman and mum was a hairdresser. So, you know, it was just very humble. Um, they ended up going through a divorce when I was about seven and that really changed everything for me. And, um, you know, when there's a So why did that change everything, Calvin? What happened? What, yeah. what perspective did that event give to you? Because a lot of what we've been talking about in these meetings yeah. is obviously you know our conditioning and, and, yes. and the things that yes. we've been through so yeah. how did that change as a seven-year-old how did that change your view of the world yeah it, look it did in a big way um you know to put it in a context so i'm the first born grandchild in in my family i'm also the first male obviously as well and uh, my granddad on my mum's side wanted through i wanted a son he had three daughters so i was the son and on my dad's side obviously you know he just doted to have have a boy so i grew up in a, in a household which had certain beliefs around what the role of a male was in in a family unit right which was to provide and protect for for the for the girls which is what my granddad had done what my dad attempted to do. The challenge that we had, though, was that when mum and dad separated, my belief system at that time, seven, eight years old, was that when well, their dad's not going to be here, but dad needs to be here to do all the things that dads are meant to do. And so that means that I need to become dad when he's not here. And so immediately I went from, say, seven to 37. And I started a model and 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 in, in, in very much in many ways. And I really learned this from from working with Brett in the years later. But it was the case of if, if I'm going to be like my father, that's the easiest way for us to connect. 
So if I'm like him, he's going to be, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll love and support me and will connect more. But also it has a double-edged sword to that because now I also get to be the father figure that I think I'm meant to be for my mom and my sister. The challenge with that, though, was mom divorced dad for many of the same reasons and patterns of behavior that I then embraced. So then we obviously clashed as I was growing up as well. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing was that I just became more serious. I became more focused. I became it was less about me. It was more about the family unit. And I remember growing up and mom saying to me, I just want you to have your childhood. I just want you to be a kid. Right. Because I was always so serious about everything. And she didn't realize I'd already let that part of me go. Now, I was never resentful of that. I'm actually enormously grateful because I get to do this work now. It was because of that that put me on this trajectory but you make these decisions when you're a kid and you don't know all the right answers and you think okay there's a lack here there's a lack there's, there's going to be an absence of love i need to fill that void and uh, and then as a result of that i became a different person um that then is there had me down this pathway so what was the change that, that happened at that point so obviously you know in, in any of these circumstances that we yes. go through there's a positive side to that which yeah. as you say it gave you the ability to, I guess, love more. Yeah. And the downside was what for you at that age, do you think? That well, became think, more serious? Was that the downside? Yeah, I think uh, I, I never really felt like I was missing out on anything because I felt like I had a bigger no. purpose than that. But you could certainly right. appreciate that as an adult, you go, well, kids should just be kids, right? And you've got the rest of your life to be an adult. So maybe there's that aspect. But certainly what it did was it, it shifted the way that I looked at the world. And in doing so, it meant that the relationships that I would then go on to attract all came from a very different paradigm. So I'll give you an example. You know, after that moment in time, my friendship group started to change by default. And by the time I got to high school, all of my friends, whether that be my male friends or my female friends or my intimate partners, all of those people had one thing in common, which was their dads were not in their lives. And I wow. was effectively the father figure or the stable, wow. secure, structured one. So my best friend, Quinn, didn't know his father until he was in his uh, early, uh, late 20s. Uh, then uh, I would then end up dating you know, a couple of girls through high school and only a few of them, but every single one of them. You know, Jade didn't know her father. Her father had left her mother when she was in the womb. Um, uh, Shahara didn't know her father. And then my previous partner, uh, Cherish, she knew her dad, but he would see her maybe two times a year and they lived in the same state. So, you know, that was a pattern of behavior. I then go to university, same patterns of behavior. My best friend, Holly, didn't really speak to her dad. She referred to her dad as, as his name. I think his name was Phil. She didn't call him dad. She called him Phil. Such was the strain of their relationship. So at that point, were you sort of aware of those patterns or nah. that didn't come until nah. later? Right? No, no idea. No idea. That to get nah, nah, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And, um, yeah. and I always thought that it was about them, not about me. I always thought, oh, I, I'm, I'm the stable, secure, strong one. I've got, you know, for want of a better word, my shit together. And I didn't. I just felt like I did. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm attracted. They're attracted to me because of my strengths. I didn't also realize that maybe I'm attracted to them as well because of the, the, the not, not the weakness. That's not the word I'm looking for, but the, the yin and the yang, the, the polarity of that. I didn't realize that for, for a number of years. And the beauty and the irony of it is, it was only when I started to heal the relationship with my own father. And yes. part of that was releasing expectations. And part of that was actually acknowledging who is the man that's my father and not who do I want him to be? Because I didn't actually become my dad when he left. I became the man that I thought he was meant to be when I, I, I became the archetype. 
And so then I would get frustrated in the years that have passed going, why are you not doing these things? This is what you're meant to be doing. This is why I did all the things that I've done because that's what I was meant to be doing, right? And then I realized, actually, you've never done that. When I look back, we've had the rose-colored glasses. You know, I was holding you up to this standard on this pedestal, which was you meant to do all these things, which is what I was attempting to do in my own life. But there was never Mm -hmm. a habit or a history of him ever doing those things. So as soon as I sort of broke through that and sort of released that, the relationship that I've got with my father now is just wonderful, where I've got a beautiful relationship because I don't expect anything of him. I've completely yeah. surrendered this expectation of you being this hero or model for me. Instead, I've just gone, this is who I am now, not who I wanted mm. who I wanted you to be, but you weren't. That's okay. And I'm actually grateful because that made me who I am. And as soon as that shifted, by the way, which was enormously painful, um, I then started to attract different people. And my wife that I now have, we have an unbelievable relationship, so different. And she's got an amazing relationship with her father and I've got an amazing relationship with him. So I don't think I would have ever been with her had I not had that change. Yes, absolutely. So at that point when you decided to get your shit together or feel like at least that you had your shit together, is that where the confidence began? Because you had to have that shit together? So was it sort of like, I'll fake it until I make it at that point. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I I don't love fake it till you make it. I like work on it until you own it. But yeah. certainly, certainly, as you know, me in the early days, Brett, uh, you know, someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, you have unjustified self-confidence. And I thought, what a, what a beautiful, <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful compliment. So um, I was always quite confident, partly because being the only boy in a female family, you know, I didn't have any cousins or brothers that, you know, for, for 18 years. So I was literally the only, you know, boy in a whole family. And so you get obviously absolutely spoiled and treated like a prince. Um, right. And uh, and so I very much grew up in a huge environment of self-esteem and love, and that was nurtured into me. But certainly then you, you add confidence with responsibility. And if you, can rise to that level of responsibility, then that really builds quite a solid foundation for yourself. And yeah. so I was already confident, stack that. Yeah. And then from there, that obviously developed. And, and I think one of the things that I realized, not, not at that age, but as I got older, was that um, if I applied myself, I'd normally do pretty well and that I would do things and I would succeed, not because necessarily I was particularly talented, but rather just because I was that confident and certain and committed that that was the edge. That's what made the difference. And uh, when I realized that, I was like, shit, if I just try harder than everybody else, if I'm more prepared, if I'm better, uh, if I'm, if yeah, I'm better prepared, then that gives me the edge when other people are far more talented than I am. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for a, uh, a specialist school, uh, which was drama. And uh, there was you know a couple hundred kids applied and they selected 40. I was one of those 40. I probably had no right to be there, but I succeeded despite of the, the, you know, the, the talent around me because I was just more committed, more prepared and hungrier. And I, and I think that's very much a pattern that my dad had. Tremendously talented soccer player, but very hungry, very driven. Obviously, when you work in sales, you have to have that edge to you. And, and that's certainly something that was developed for me. And what I've noticed is that those various things that you've been talking about, if we haven't been through circumstances where they're conditioned in or we've gained them by events that have happened to us, then what we need to do is to literally give those things to ourselves. So you said before that we, you grew up in an environment where you were treasured being the only child, only boy, et cetera. 
And you were given a lot of love and attention, which obviously helped build that self-confidence. You know, I know for Maria and myself uh, with our son Chase, uh, because he's dyslectic, you know, we've had to work very hard, particularly in the zero to 10 years yes. in making him uh, feel like that's not a disadvantage. In fact, it's an advantage. Look at Einstein, look at Cher, look at all these other people Francis, uh, that yeah. have had dyslexia and built this frame for him around the fact that it's not a negative. So I think a big takeaway from what you just said is that if, if we're not, if we haven't been given it, we have to give it to ourselves. We have to yes. build it ourselves, around ourselves, yes. in terms of how we're thinking, how we're feeling, yeah. and how we see ourselves. Yeah. So you've now grown up, you're a teenager, doing the normal yep. teenage things, dating girls, um, trying to decide what you're going to do with your life. Yep. And you make a decision, I think, at the end of school to go to university. What developed there as you went to university? What started to happen for you there? Because it seems like, you know, what you've said so far is, okay, I've, I've now stepped up. I've decided that I'm going to um, be the man of the family. I'm going to rescue my family. Yes. I'm going to uh, be the one that's going to hold them all together. Yeah. And that seems to be starting to spread out to more than just your family. Yes. Would that be yep. fair? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so a bit of backstory, particularly because this is a very spiritual group, I'll share it and I know I, uh, uh, it'll be received in the right way. So on, on my dad's side, my grandma in the UK, Elizabeth Coyles, is a medium and very spiritual woman. And um, my granddad, uh, who has now passed, wasn't spiritual in any way and completely rejected her spiritual beliefs. But at, at, by the time he's of his passing, you know, you can't resist, you know, the 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 evidence of, of spirit in your life. And so he certainly died a believer, but he wasn't born one. And so Gran had shared with my mum and dad and her uh, other son and uh, his wife that there was a child coming to the world to do great things and that it was sent from the heavens and from the light to change the world. And this was almost like a prophecy, if you will, that was shared well before either of the two of them had children. And then my mum falls pregnant, so does my auntie. And so anyway, I'm born and she you know, pulls into the hospital and she sees a, uh, a rainbow appear over Sunland General Hospital. And she says, I knew you had arrived. So without going too much more into it than that, effectively, I was born in on my granddad, on my mom's side, being the only boy unspoiled in that environment. But on my dad's side, I was born with very much a sort of spiritual destiny, if you will, that my granddad shared. And it was something that my mom and dad had believed in enough to obviously share with me and grand believed in it, you know, so she shared wow. with me as well. So I grew up very much not only with, uh, and, and to be fair, when my mom and dad are separating, that's not really on my mind in any way. But no. as I'm getting older and I'm connecting more about that, and obviously at that point, my grand and granddad were more in my life on my dad's side because they still lived in the UK. This became more apparent to me. And so that's probably were you, where- Were you brought up with any other spiritual belief besides that? Nah. No. So we wow. believed in, we believed in spirit. I mean, I was, um, I think I was christened church of England, but we never went to church. We're not a spirit. We're not a, we're not a religious family. And dad's spirituality probably was quite dormant as well until he went through some really difficult times in his life later on. And he, he relied on that faith, but for yes. a long time that, Certainly when mom and dad were together, she's mom's not spiritual in that way. Um, she believes and she would, you know, you know, draw crystals or cards, but that's probably it's, it's uh, it's retail spirituality, if you will. So, <laughs> so um, fast forward a couple of years, I'm now in my teenage years. 
I'm doing drama and that sort of stuff as well. And now, now I'm starting to believe that I'm here for something more. I don't know what that is. You know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. As Jobs would say, you can only connect it looking back. And so my, my vision is I want to potentially either go to university and I want to either become a lawyer because I think that that's a way of me being able to make a difference or I want to go out there and I want to start my own business. And so my dad and my whole family has always been self-employed. So I thought that that would be a career path. So I ended up going to university to study law and commerce. And I realized after the first day that law was not for me. I'm not intellectually wired in that way. I'm a great communicator and negotiator, but you know, I, I don't have the discipline to sit there and read a textbook. And, and I also can't really read or write either. So I, uh, I gave that up and instead focused on my business. But something amazing happened. And I believe that there are moments of serendipity in our lives or destiny in our lives where if we pursue what we believe is the right thing to do, it all works out. So when I leave you, when I leave high school, most people ever do one of two things, take a gap year or they go to university. So I took a gap year because I wanted to see the world and I believed in the importance of travel. So I take off with my partner at the time. We do um, Europe, we come back. And, uh, and then at that point, I then apply for university and, and UWA had opened up an entrepreneurship program just that year. And so I thought, this is perfect. I'll apply for that pro program. I then started law school day one. Um, you know, they're doing the orientation and there's this group at university, which was called at that time, SIFE, Students in Free Enterprise. Effectively, it was a community organization, a group at, of, of uni kids that got together that built sort of these non-for-profit based businesses that were there to make sort of positive social good. And they did that really well. And at the end of the year, they would all fly to Sydney with all the universities together. And then they would present uh, to a board of directors, if you will, which was the, the sort of um, the, the CEOs and the CFOs of the Fortune 50 in Australia, they would present. And then those judges, the, the heavyweights of industry would rank them and say, hey, you guys did really well. And if you win the national competition, they flew you to the World Cup. And then they had, you know, 100 countries that did this. And so I'm sitting there and going, that's exactly what I'm here for, because it was the theater and it was the drama and it was the business and it was the, the, the showmanship, everything that I had trained for previously, I thought this is perfect for me. So within probably 90 days, I was, uh, you know, the COO of that organization, I was running it, I was leading three or four projects I'd taken over in my first year and um, had some fantastic experiences. We won a couple of national championships, went to the World Cup a couple of times, just an amazing opportunity to do that. And that was really where the, the passion for wanting to make an impact in people's lives and realizing that, hey, I've got something here just because of the upbringing, just being around dad on the phones when he was making sales or being around my granddad when he was running his business or my grand when she ran her interior decorating business. I picked up stuff that they didn't teach you in a textbook that gave me an edge. And I started to realize maybe I've got some stuff already in the, in the unconscious mind that's really quite effective in that way. Um, so that's really where that next step started to blossom for me. And I ended up spending far more of my time at university doing that than I ever did in my classroom doing my studies. And I'd given up on the degree component. It was, you know, there's a saying, P's get degrees. So, you know, if passes are just as good as HDs, I knew I was never going to compete with some of these unbelievably smart people, particularly a lot of the, the Asian students coming over from China that are just unbelievable minds. I was never going to compete with them academically. I had to play to my strengths in the same way for Chase. 
I didn't have the ability to to uh, to write a great essay, but I could f- deliver a fantastic speech. So I realized very early, play, just stick to your strengths. And I figured that the way I was going to win the game, whatever that game of life is, was focused on experience and, and trying to build as much of that as possible. And that saw me go to the deserts of Australia and to the uh, the, the slums of Africa and it's part of that process and, and see quite a bit of the world with that organization helping make a difference in the world as part of that. So what impact did you think that had on you seeing those things? Did that just reinforce that that, that yeah. was the right journey for you? Yeah, I remember, I remember going to Africa for the first time and I'm in Kenya and I'm working with a group of women and we called it Mama Shuja. That was the project name and it stands for Warrior Woman in Swahili. And here's, at this year I'm... Yeah, it was beautiful, right? And I've got a group of 18 women that, uh, you know, all imagine the African culture, right? So they've got the headpieces and the whole thing, just amazing. And we're, we're teaching this group of women in a sea container in the middle of a rubbish tip. That's the home, that's the slum, right? It's just an unbelievable experience. And you realize something in that moment, by the way, as well. You know, we talk about dissociation and about how your brain deletes, distorts, and generalizes. You know, I was actually tremendously calm in that environment. I'm thinking, you know, why am I not freaking out right now? Because your brain goes, this is way too much. So I'm just going to delete most of this stuff. And I'm just going to help you focus on whatever's on in front of you, right? And you don't realize how that coping mechanism is built until you're into a really challenging situation, right? That sort of everything else just sort of disappears. But I remember leaving that environment. I would be 20 years old. And I think maybe at that time, maybe we had just met Brad or we were about to meet a car, somewhere around that time. But I remember leaving that experience going, I don't have a business. I haven't even finished my business degree, but here I am in Africa helping a group of women start their own businesses. And we had a microfinance grant about 40,000 USD to help start businesses. Those businesses still going today. Really proud of that. But I remember leaving that experience with two deep knowings. One, there are people in the world that need my help. Number two, I can help them. And, you know, I think most of us realize there's people in the world that need help, but there's the belief that I'm ready and I can help. These women didn't care if I had a uni degree. They didn't care if I'd started a business. They just go, my life right now is this. And I want to go from here to here. Can you help me do that? Forget about the ego or the arrogance or the pieces of paper or the awards or any of that bullshit. Can you help me do that? Because when you're in that environment, um, and to be fair, it's not that much different, I would imagine, to a single mom or dad that's living in, in Australia or the UK or the US that's just struggling to get by. It's, it's all relative. But can you help me go from A to B? And I had the skills to do that. I didn't, you know, I hadn't made millions of dollars and, you know, I hadn't done any of that stuff, but I could help them do those things because I had that knowledge already. And I think so many people underestimate what's inside of them. And as a result, they never help somebody go from A to B because they think they've got to complete the whole process before they can do that. And I think that's a real mistake because you miss a lot of fulfillment along the journey, which is, I think, quite important to actually finishing it in the first place. I think it's a very important um, realisation to have that is what you said earlier about unjustified self-confidence. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if you have a desire to, to make a difference, that you need a certain level of skill. It's mm. just that you believe you can make that difference and you're prepared yes. to uh, do whatever's necessary or take the risks or just believe in yourself that if you take those steps forward, then things will start to happen. And I think yeah. in your life and certainly in many lives that I've been involved in, that process of what I call the divine, that, that force, that energy, 
um, is always there, as you said, making those synchronicities available. So every step, you know, as we're listening to your story, every step is leading somewhere. Yes. Is yeah. definitely leading somewhere. Absolutely. So how did we meet? I, I cannot even remember now how yeah. you came to end up in my office one day. Yeah. I think you, you rang me up, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And I don't even know, I don't even remember how you got to know about me. Did someone tell you about me or no, what happened? No. So I um so at this time, you know, probably around about the age of 16. This is before we met. Uh, I think we met when I was about 18, 19 years old. And so at this time I'm, I'm at uni, um, but um, my, my previous partner, her mother was a huge influence on me. You know, amazing spiritual lady, uh, used to be a doula and a psychologist and an educator and just a beautiful woman that had gone through some hard times. And um, she you know, shared with me a variety of beautiful things. But one of the things that she showed me was a video of Tony Robbins doing a program called Date with Destiny. And I didn't know who Tony was and I didn't know what Date with Destiny was, but it fucking blew my mind because I was like, wow, here is a platform for someone that has got a passion to share and ability to teach and educate and obviously some showmanship. I could do that. Like I've got a, a couple of those things in me. I reckon I can make that happen. And it was more, you've got thousands of people in a room for five to seven days. Imagine the changes that you could make in somebody's life with that level of attention and the power of that. I mean, that's really a force multiplier. So I, um, I thought maybe my passion here and maybe where I'm going with this is interpersonal development and doing some sort of seminar work or education or speaking. And I already had a gift for that because I'd obviously done my drama training. And so I thought, well, the easiest way to take that first step is to find somebody that is in my local environment. Proximity is power. If I go and work for a company that's already doing this, then that's going to allow me to get an understanding of the industry. And, and I, I've always believed in internships and that practical approach. And so there was only two companies in WA that were doing that. Yourself with, at that time, Create, and the guy called Wilbert Mollier, if you remember as well, from, I think, Dynamic yeah. Creations. Yes. Anyway, I called one for them. Actually. Sorry? He's now in Holland. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so I called both of you. I spoke to him first and I sat down and said, hey, I know you're not advertising, but I want to come work with you. And um, and he basically said, well, thanks, but no thanks, because you'll just come here and take my stuff and then do your own thing. And then I sat down with you and uh, and you said, OK, well, this is interesting. Um, and uh, and you encouraged me to do your program, which I did. And, uh, and I always remember you saying something to me, which had a huge impact at that time. You said, Calvin, I've got no doubt you'll be confident. I, I've got no doubt you'll be successful because you're quite a confident man. He says, and you said, uh, you're, I remind you a lot of you at that age as well. He says, I don't doubt you'll be successful. I just wonder how big the trail of destruction will be when you're done. And I never really considered the implications of my sort of bullet a gate, just go make shit happen. I never considered the implications of that because you don't when you're 19, 20. And, uh, and that's, um, that's how it's, I remember sitting in your office in, in, um, in Adderdale and, uh, and Applecross and, uh, yeah, and having that conversation with you. So yeah, what a, what a crazy start to the journey. Absolutely. But again, uh, just the synchronicity of that and, um, you know, the, the blessings that I certainly take out of my life to, to have had that impact in your life, just in that way, because I was available, I was there at that time, I was in that space, um, that those things, you know, flow on in ways that often we can't possibly comprehend, but I'm yeah. certain that the divine uh, certainly can. Yeah. So at that point, um, I think you asked me for a job and I, I said, um, well, yeah, you know, I could be interested. 
and I think I offered you $50,000 a year and you wanted $100,000 a year. Yeah. So we couldn't get to a, to a meeting point with that, right? Yeah. And you, you had done the course, which I think had an impact on you in terms Huge. of yeah. um, seeing one, a lot of those patterns that you had been running. Yeah. And then, then you decided, okay, well, fair enough if he's, he's not going to give me a job. Um, I'll go and find some other way of doing that. So what happened after that? Yeah, so we met when I was 19. We had that interaction. You said, come and do the course. I did that. And then the um, then we, we sort of, I went my own way and you went your own way. And then we ended up bumping into each other at Tony Robbins' conference, actually the Success Resources event with Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki. And mm. I thought, oh, let's connect back up again. And then I ended up coming and doing some stuff. And yeah, I mean, look, I, I think about it now. Honestly, I think about that conversation. And, and I remember saying to you something just so outrageous as I don't, I think I, I said something like, I don't get out of bed for less than than $100,000 a year or something. And I'm thinking, fuck, here I am. I'm not making fucking anything. <laughs> but, and you you and Marie knew that. And to your credit, you let me down gently. And, and I, I, to be fair, if someone asked me for that money now, I'd say, no fucking way. But whatever it was, I was, I had that belief and you know, it is what it is. But I, um, I'm, I remember in my final year of university at that time, I had built a non-for-profit organization and I'd set up my own company called Bright Lights. And effectively the premise of that was get uni students together, connect them with small businesses to see if we could try and help. And um, my mindset going into my final year of uni was let's start with the end in mind. The end in mind is one of two things. One, uh, and I sort of had probably parked the personal development angle of that because I didn't know how that was going to happen for me. So I, I'd really had Bright Lights is going to become so successful that I'm going to make all of this money that I don't need to worry about getting a job after uni because Bright Lights is going to pay me you know, six figures. Or it's going to be so successful that a management consulting firm like Boston Consulting Group or, or, or Accenture or someone is going to headhunt me. And they're going to give me a heap of money as well. So I, my decision at the beginning of that year was I'm not applying for anything. I'm not applying for any jobs, any internship programs. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to focus my attention on creating this business really successfully. And at the end of the year, I'm either going to have a heap of money or someone's going to headhunt me. And that was my setup. Now, I, to be fair, I expected someone to come knocking pretty early and no one fucking came knocking. So it's now November at the end of that year. And I've got no job opportunities lined up at all. And uh, your offer of 50 grand is looking way more attractive at this point. Right? And then I remember I'm sitting in the, uh, in the Reed library in uh, UWA and I get an email from a guy called Chris Howard. Now, again, serendipity, you're the one that told me about Chris Howard. I remember sitting there and you were telling me about Tony and about how he built his business. And you told me about this guy called Chris Howard. I remember you saying, look, he's not as charismatic or as powerful as Tony, but he's done a really good job. And, you know, you know he's, he's more of the, the training of how to do it as opposed to you know, the interventions. And so I think at that point, after our conversation, you'd encourage me to look, read as much as you can, watch as much as you can, just download it all, and then just start following some of these people. So I ended up following Chris Howard. Hadn't heard anything from him since then. And, um, I was doing some coaching with a, a guy that was a little bit older than me. And um, we were doing the contra, like $40 a session each, but I would transfer him 40. He would transfer me 40. So we felt like we were getting paid. And um, he had wanted to set up what's called a lead magnet, which I didn't know what that was at the time, but effectively it's where you, you're putting your details and you get something back and it's designed to give you some content. And he was trying to do that. I said, like, yeah, no problems. Well, I'll figure out how to do that for you. And I'll let you know. I had no idea. And then Chris sends me this email about this webinar about becoming a transformational coach and an NLP master practitioner and a speaker and making all this money. 
I thought, fuck, that's great. I'll do that. So I click on this webinar and I'm meant to be studying my final exam for strategic management, literally my last year at university. And I end up watching this 90 minute webinar with Chris Howard. And I never met the guy before. I watch it. And at the end of it, he tried to sell a $9,000 package. And the sale was book in to speak to one of my team members and we'll do a strategy session. And then, you know, we'll have a conversation. So I thought, shit, I'll just test this funnel so I can learn the steps for um, one of my clients. So I, I opted in. Uh, fast forward a couple of days later, I thought nothing of it. Finish university. I'm actually now doing a personal development seminar with Mike Tyson. That's when he came to Perth. Remember when he did that seminar, Brett, and, and he spoke at the convention center, not the convention center, the arena. So I'm there. I get a call from Chris's team. Hey, Chris would like to do the call with you personally. I'm like, fuck, this is unbelievable. I mean, this is amazing. I didn't realize Chris didn't have anybody else. He lost everything at this point. He's on the bones of his ass, but the frame was his assistant said, you've been selected. So I thought this is pretty amazing. So I booked in uh, for the following week. And then in the, in the, over the weekend, I'd done my research and realized actually here's a guy that had made like a hundred million dollars, but he, you know, drug, sex, alcohol, women, the whole thing ended up getting put into rehab. He loses everything. He goes bankrupt. He comes back out, not realizing that it happened. He just got shafted and he moves to Bali. And again, another bit of serendipity. He was with Richard Branson. He says to Branson, how is it that you, um, how do you deal with the stress? He says, I have no stress. He says, if there was something to happen to the health of myself, my family, that's a problem. He says, if Virgin collapsed underneath me, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably just move to Bali or something. So when Chris's business collapses, he just says, I'll move to Bali because that's what Branson had said. Obviously, Perth and Bali are pretty close. So I know he's in Bali. I know he's starting from nothing again. And I've just built a company helping, you know, get young people to work for people for free. And I had 120 volunteers at this time. I thought I can add some value here. I also had a website already as well. And I'd done some speaking engagements previously. So I thought maybe I've got enough here to convince him I can be of value. And, um, and I also done a bit of work with Brett. So I was like, I can sell that for sure. So I call him up. We have this conversation. He sells me this $9,000 program. And I say, look, I want to do this, but I don't have any money. I'm a uni student. I've just built this non-for-profit board. What I can do is I can add value. Let me come and work with you for free for a month. Let me demonstrate my value. I believe I'm worth a hundred grand. So that's 10,000 a month. So we'll do a contract effectively. You give me the course and I'll give you a month for free. And then after that, you can pay me. And uh, he said, well, I, I wasn't expecting to be sold something on this call. I was expecting to sell something. And I said, well, Chris, you said in the webinar, leaders make decisions quickly and change them slowly. So you're prepared to make a decision. And he laughed. He says, look, give me a couple of days to think about it. And, um, and I'll get back to you and we'll see if we can make something work. And, and then he got back to me. He says, look, if you're going to come, you're going to come for three months for free, but I'll cover your room and board. I said, done. I'll be there tomorrow. And he's like, well, well let's slow down. Come in January. This was now December. Come in January because I'm going back to the States for Christmas. And, uh, and then long story short, 2013, January 7th, I fly to Bali to work with a guy I'd never met before for free for six for, for three months. I end up becoming his right-hand man, his lead trainer globally, helping build his business up again as well. Just me and him. In January, we recruited 42 international staff using the Bright Lights model that we applied to his business. And, um, and then six months in, I, I, uh, I had probably learned enough at that point and then I came back and started this business. So just an unbelievable series of fortunate events. Um, but across the board, I've been blessed tremendously with luck. One of the things that I've realized, though, is that um, your initiative is a force multiplier in the universe. And that the amount of times that things have happened for me just because I've been willing to have a crack 
have been outrageous, right? So I think there's such value in just going, if, if I've got a goal, take some bold action. You know, call up, I mean, now I think about the idea of me just calling you and Wilbert, you know, two successful business owners and CEOs and executives and calling you up randomly as a 19 year old kid and say, hey, I want to come work with you. Can I have 15 minutes of your time to have a coffee? I mean, that's a ridiculous fucking statement. I think because it was ridiculous, it's what probably got the attention in the first place to enable it to happen. So you've got to be willing to go and just go, hey, what do I want? I want to work with you. Let's just cut through all the bullshit and just go straight for that. And I think that that's missing in the world for so many people. And, you know, time and time again, I've done that. And uh, it's a bit nuts, but it's worked. So yeah, that was that was the- I think you're, you're absolutely correct with that, Calvin. And it's- missing because people lack um, a belief mm. and there are two levels of, of belief there is there's a knowing there's yes. a knowing something is there and then there's a mental belief about that something yes. is there we call that mental belief religion yes knowing is very different yes. so it gives you that confidence to go out and and make that choice i remember reading a number of years ago about a young guy who was i think 16 years of age he developed an app and managed um, to get through, I think it was to Bill Gates from memory um, and sell Bill Gates the app. And he sold it for $30 million. Wow. And I, I remember the one line in, in the interview that he did. And the, um, the interviewer said to him, how did you manage to get through all the gatekeepers? How on earth did you get to Bill Gates? And he said, I think I was either too young or too stupid to know I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> yeah. that was just so spot on in terms yeah. of your comment before about unjustified self-confidence. Because when we have a purpose, what I observe at least is that that purpose gets expressed in two ways. That purpose comes from that knowing inside of us that mm. you've been talking about that for whatever reason was instilled into you. And then the second part of that is how do I apply that into this world? How do I apply that into the structure of the universe that we live in with yes. all its negativity and positivity? How do I make that work in amongst this? And I love yeah. that um, your comment before about that it's a force multiplier. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is just so, so true when it comes to our own impact in the world when we just decide that this is what's going to happen. Yeah. That just rolls out like a wave. Yeah. So you, you managed to convince Chris, right? Yeah. You, you've flown up there. You're up there doing three months free. What happens after that? So after that, um, he convinces me to stay for another three months. And to be fair, I worked for six months for free, but I was meant to get paid for the final three months. I just didn't get paid. Um, right. And uh, you realise pretty quickly that... Um, certain people have certain patterns and he had a pattern which was he was used to living a life where prior to this shutdown he's flying around the world in business class he's got a team of 100 people he's got a, a platinum amex he can spend whatever he wants you know he's got no inhibitions because he's created this empire but he wasn't living that life but he couldn't reconcile back to that life and so if we had money we lost it if if we had a deal it just got self-sabotaged you could just see the trauma of what he'd been through manifest and so mm -hmm. i realized after a while hey 
the likelihood of me ever getting paid here is not going to work. And, and I'm also an entrepreneurial spirit at heart. And I knew, you know, my dad's always been self-employed, you know, and so I knew it was only a matter of time before I did that. And I was very transparent with him about that as well. And so I made the decision to, 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 to step back from working with him and to set up my own thing. And so they came back to Perth. And um, effectively, I had a model. I knew what had worked for Chris, but the challenge. Sorry. But yeah. also, I remember seeing some videos of you um, doing some speaking engagements for him yes. in Singapore, where yes. you were up the front, you were doing the talking. So it really became a good six to nine months of training. Yes. Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, like it was this idea. It was almost perfect because it, it gave you that platform and put you up in front of people. Unbelievable. It literally was a, um, a cadetship into yes. your own platform and own business. Yeah. I mean, for me, if a young person asked me, hey, how do you go about achieving success and whatever it is that you want to do? I would just say, find somebody that's already doing it and then study with them and sit at the feet of the master, right? The, the idea of doing your apprenticeship, right? Whatever, in whatever frame that takes is a forgotten, forgotten thing in our world. We do it in a trade, but we don't do it in any other area of our lives. And, um, and to be fair, I remember we had the conversation at the Crown a couple of months ago, which was my apprenticeship didn't start with Chris. My apprenticeship that started when my dad was working from home and he's making sales calls on the phone. My apprenticeship started from working in my family cafe when I was eight years old and selling ice creams on my own in a truck, right? That's where it all started, but I just didn't realize that. So, you know, we talk about how in my first 12 months of business, I did $1.2 million, but I didn't do... 1.2 million in 12 months. I did 1.2 million in 24 years. It took me 24 years to have the skills. And then I just put all the pieces together and it took off. Right. So I ended up doing effectively 12 months with Chris, six months living with him in Bali and learning and practicing with him. And again, just blessed of opportunity because we do an event in Singapore. I always remember this experience. If I can interrupt you again yeah, there, yeah. sorry, Calvin, but you know, I, I want to make these points because I think they're very relevant for everybody. Yeah. And, and that is again, that, this, this concept of apprenticeship and yes. the concept of that you see particularly um, in a spiritual tradition of the student and the master. Yes. And, you know, particularly the Buddhist tradition where you get to a point and the master knows when the student is ready and will just say perhaps one sentence to him and that just breaks through to a new level of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that in one sense takes um, suppressing or a lack of ego temporarily at least to be able to put yourself in that position where you will literally totally do everything that this person is telling you to do and if you're going to be a student that's what you need to do yeah there's a devotion there there's a um there is um yeah a, a surrendering i think that's absolutely spot on surrendering absolutely absolutely yep. So you surrendered to Chris for uh, 12 months. You yep. came back. Yep. And then how did you begin? What did you decide to do? Yeah, so two things. Uh, one was emotional. One was tactical. So I make the decision to come back in June. Um, I'm still going back to consult with him a little bit to help with masterminds and events and retreats. But my biggest fear coming back was that I was just going to go back to the way that things always were. Uh, you know, my dad at that point had started a real estate company with a desire for me to get involved in, in real estate. He wanted me to do that. We had worked together in real estate before I'd ever done 
this stuff before in fact before i worked with you and so mm -hmm. i knew that it'd be very easy for dad to convince me for all the reasons we mentioned earlier on this call to come back yeah. and work with him and that was his ambition and in his mind he was supportive of me but in his mind it's like this is how you're gonna get paid do that for fun this is how you're gonna get paid he didn't understand the business model so my fear was that was going to happen so the very final day in bali before i leave i sit down with a um an artist a tattoo artist and i get warrior of light from the alchemist by paolo coelho which i think was a book that you'd shared with me um and i get this tattooed because for me it was like this is a sign of my commitment to my my mission my purpose and it's easier right. for me to make this business now work than it is to explain to somebody five years from now oh hey what does that tattoo mean oh that was the time that i had i went to bali with the idea to pursue my passion and purpose and i came back and gave up on it <laughs> i didn't want to have that conversation so for me there was a um there was a a ritual in that in saying this is who i am now i come back and before i'd left i just asked chris a very simple question i said look this is the business that you've got now this is all the stuff that you're doing but tell me what did you do in the very beginning to get you started what was your first first 90 days effectively and he shared with me a very simple model it was do a couple of intro events sell a program from that program sell another program then do a couple of other intro events sell a program then sell that main program and effectively you just build like a christmas tree model effectively with this or a pyramid a reverse pyramid and you just stack it from there and he said if you do that you'll you'll do pretty well and so i said okay well that's pretty basic i can do that now the traditional model in in personal development seminars which is what i was wanting to do was you would align with a promoter who had a huge database and you would stand on stage for them but at 24 you know no one knew who i was no one's giving me access to that so i had to find an alternative way so in the very beginning it was very much hustle and word of mouth so my first event was at a public library you know i had 12 people there eight of which my family and uh, four people paid a ticket to be there and that was enough money to pay for the 150 dollars seminar room hire if only they were that cheap these days and uh, that was my first exposure right i made that money and then i just reinvested that straight back into the business and i ended up doing um you know live events then a webinar then a live event then a webinar and i did that and i was very very fortunate again another blessing i'm at high school and one of my mates at high school is a guy called Anders. We'd stayed in contact briefly. He was a good guy and, you know, we weren't super close, but knew of him. So I'm over in Bali. And of course, in my mind, I go, well, it probably in about May, I made the decision that in June, at the end of June, I was going to come back to Australia. So in my mind, I go, okay, well, no one knows what I've been doing in Perth. They just think I've been in Bali, having a holiday, you know, drinking bintangs. And I was like, I've got to start producing some positive content out here so that when I come back, I'm coming back with a bit of momentum. So I started doing a bit of uh, some, some content posts and some motivational posts back in the early days of Facebook. And Anders reaches out to me, says, man, I love what you're doing. I love the mindset. I love this journey you've been on. I'd love for you to come and support my team. And he was a rugby player. So I assumed that's what he meant. I go, man, I'd love to do that. I'm coming back actually in, in June. I can definitely help you. How many people you got in your team? He says, well, we've got 25,000 people. And I go, what the fuck do you mean you have 25,000 people? He says, yeah, I'm part of a network marketing organization. And one of the young leaders is like one of the top young leaders in the world right now. She's based in Perth. Turns out this young leader is a girl called Peter Kelly, who goes on to become the youngest ever isogenics millionaire. Her sister, Lee Kelly, was my sister's best friend in high school. We actually went to school together, but she was a year older than me. And Lee was in my year, but my sister was her best friend. So crazy small world. So well, I come back. Again, right? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable right so i come back and uh and i end up connecting with peter kelly 
And so she introduces me to the whole isogenics community. We do a lot of work with them. Then I get one of the guys that was at my very first event of the four people that paid a ticket, uh, Kim Barrett. He introduces me to a whole nother network marketing company called Vima. And so at that point, here I am, a young person that's got a bit of charisma and a bit of passion and showmanship, has just done this mindset stuff, selling effectively mindset training to people that are in network marketing. And because I was a couple of steps ahead economically for a lot of these guys and I'd started to make some money, now I was selling them on how if they did this stuff, they could also make some money as well. And so it allowed me to just grow like wildfire. And so in 90 days, we did $100,000 just off those networks and just doing presentations and, you know, I was blessed in the sense I'd started learning how to present from 12 years old. And so by the time I got to this point, I'm 24, nearly 25. Um, you know, at that point, I'd already had over a decade of speaking experience. And so you put me on stage or in a small environment and just the passion and the drive and determination just blew people away. It wasn't hard to impress people when they didn't expect anything from you. And there was no one else at 20 in their 20s speaking like I was speaking. So that really helped me accelerate some things. And, uh, and then from that, we then started to grow. I learned how to do Facebook marketing, obviously, then that took us off. And so we incorporated the company effectively in January 2014. And, uh, and then we you know, ended up doing a million dollars that calendar year, which was fantastic. And, uh, and then Kim, you know, becomes one of my team members. I'm introduced to his brother, Jason, um, who is now still works with me eight years on to this day, uh, Jason just across the road. And, um, and then I ended up going and marrying their sister. Ashley. Uh, and uh, we're now, you know, we've been together expecting our first child in September. So it's been a fucking unbelievable journey and just meeting the right people at the right time and just being of service. I've been just tremendously blessed to have been guided on this path. So what do you love about it? About the, the, the work? Yes. I, um, I love, I love the feeling of, of helping somebody expand. You know, the, the idea of enlightenment, for me, what I really think about that, it's enlightening, it's, it's lightening somebody from the weight they're carrying on themselves. And there's, there's just, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me to do some of the work that I get to do with people that are in a dark place and being able to help that person shift you know, and that might be at an extreme case with a suicide case, or it might be just some something simple as somebody that just doesn't believe in themselves. And then realizing if you can just help that, you know, young mom believe in herself, then that's going to impact on their kids and, and everything else is part of that. So I love this work. I love this. I was actually thinking about this this week. I had, um, I had your session scheduled in today. And on Friday, I spoke to one of my friends, Karim, and I did a two hour piece with him. I read the same things. And this energizes me. I could do this all day, every day. I love sharing. I love being able to communicate a message and take all the stuff that I've learned, which I just love learning about and help that, you know, impact in somebody's life and hopefully help them move the needle forward. Um, so I, I love, I love every aspect of that. That lights me up like a Christmas tree, the ability to make yeah. a difference in somebody's life in a meaningful way, in a lasting way to know that we were able to create an intervention for them and that allows them to now go on a whole different path and uh you know we we you know our company calls called wild we believe in either people live in captivity or they live in the wild and the captivity is here the captivity is accepting the boundary conditions of your thinking as einstein would say it's not you know challenging them breaking out of that and going actually what if i was to stand on my own two feet and what if i was to believe in myself like what a radical concept that would be that that's what i love mm. I think that's pretty obvious to anybody that's listening to you. So where to from here? 
Well, uh, my world's about to change uh, in every possible way from September uh, because yeah. we've got obviously yeah. our first child. And uh, I find out the gender of that on Sunday, which I'm very excited about. So um, that will obviously have a huge impact. But in from, from what I can tell you now... Boy. Boy? Boy. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I look, I'd be blessed <laughs> to have any... I'd be blessed to have anything, uh, uh, boy or girl, and um, yeah, I just, I'm just, just fortunate to have a beautiful child. Uh, hopefully, a happy, healthy child. Um, but uh, where to from here is is more of the same. Uh, all I want moving forward is to be able to do more of the work that we're already doing and reach more people's lives. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I look back to some of our early seminars with ten or fifteen people. We just did an event in uh, in Brisbane, and we had you know couple of hundred online and uh, nearly a hundred in the room with us live as well. I want to be able to scale that. And, you know, while we're doing that and we're making an impact and we're serving people, I saw Tony Robbins did one on the weekend, 70,000 people. I go, holy shit, that's a whole other world. So if I can make yeah. a small aspect of that sort of impact in whatever way that looks, that would be enormously grateful for that. So uh, this is what I'm here to do. I don't see myself doing anything, anything else because I get to choose whatever I get to do right now. I'm, I make a heap of fucking money changing lives. And that's all I want to do. I just want to continue to do that better and more. So expand the impact, reach more people, serve in a higher way, um, uh, you know, it's come up a couple of times this week. I've been meaning to, to write another book and get that finished. I want to get that done uh, rather than just sitting on the agenda and the to-do list. So that's important to yeah. me. Um, but, you know, just enjoy every moment and, uh, and certainly be able to create a lifestyle for myself and my family, which is uh, uh, rich, not, own, not financially, but rich in terms of its experiences as well that uh, we get to provide and, and create a wonderful life experience. And I, I just, I'm very much excited about the opportunity to mentor a little being in the world. I get to do that every day anyway, but a lot of the challenges I'm dealing with are because you know there was mistakes made earlier in the day or big lessons that were, were not fully addressed. So I can't wait for that process and, and, and that challenge. Yes, it's definitely an interesting process because they most definitely become a mirror for us. Yeah. All the things that we can't see in ourselves become very evident over there. Yeah. The good and the bad. Yeah. So what in your experience is the difference between someone that despite what they've been through can decide to make a change and mm. those that get stuck and and obviously you know as, as change makers um our task is to you know work that through but equally you know as i well do that sometimes people get stuck no matter what um you do they've made a decision to stay where they are. Yeah. So what, what do you think that difference is? What, what's your experience with that? Yeah. There's a couple of different ways to answer that question. The, if you would listen to uh, Freud, he would say pain and pleasure. They're going to have more pain or they're going to have more pleasure. Uh, yeah. Victor Franklin talks about the idea it's all about meaning. And if the meaning is there, then that sort of transcends that. And I think probably yeah. I'm more I'm more geared towards the meaning angle than just the simple pain and pleasure because I think that, you know, a, a, a great example. You know, I've had conversations this week with two mothers. Uh, one mother who decided to make a change for herself because of her kids, and one mother that said that she couldn't move forward because of her kids. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting to see those two paradigms paralleled, because yes. you know it either can be the meaning to do something or the meaning not to. So I think that you get a couple of moments in your life that are significant emotional events that are moments for you to decide 
if your life, the way that you've got it right now was the way you want it to be. And I don't think you get many opportunities that are big like that. I think every day you had a choice to do that, of course, but there are moments where you have, you know, a death in somebody's, uh, in, in your family, a wake up call, you know, you get fired from a job, you get turned down for something, you get a divorce, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you have moments where you really get to take stock out and look at your whole life. And I think in order to make that change is a couple of things. Number one is that you've got to have, uh, an acknowledgement to say that I'm not currently satisfied, I'm not happy, I'm, I'm not content with what's currently happening in my life. And that's a, purely a reflection of how I've been showing up. So I think number one is to acknowledge that, you know, you want more. Number two, I think it's absolutely critical. Without this, I don't think anything happens is you must take extreme ownership. It's, you know, I'm, one of my favorite words is responsibility. And I believe in that there's two words in that. That's the ability to respond. It might not be your fault that, you know, you went bankrupt, or it might not be your fault that coronavirus happened. It might not be your fault that you know you you uh, you had a challenge, whatever it might be. It's not about fault or blame, but you have the ability to respond. How are you going to fucking show up? And for me, I think about the 90-10 rule. Life is 10% what happens and 90% what we choose to do about it. So I think there's an acknowledgement that I want more or I'm, I certainly I'm not happy with what I've got right now. You've got to take extreme ownership and go, I'm personally responsible for this outcome. And if you put yourself in a position of ultimate responsibility and control for your life, then things can start to happen. Without that, I don't think anything happens. Then I think you've also got to have a vision uh, and part of that vision as well is intrinsically linked to a belief of worthiness that I can have something more, I know what more looks like, uh, what better looks like. And, um, and I, I have a vision for that. We talk about it as a compelling vision. You have a vision for that. Uh, but you've also got to innately believe that it's possible for you to get there and that you deserve it because otherwise you'll never dream, right? Most people, the reason why they fail in life isn't because they aim high and miss, it's because they aim low and hit. So I think that those are some pretty critical ingredients. And, you know, when I, see people that come to our events that hide or when I see people that come to the events that show up and playful that are ready there is a surrendering like we talked about this before with the master there's a surrendering of going that I am no longer trying to justify my life I've come mm -hmm. to a place where I am totally in acceptance of all of it good and bad and I just want to be better I want more. I want to be better. I don't want to be right. I don't care about what other people think of me. I'm not trying to justify why it's been the way that it's been. I'm not attached to the story because at the end of the day, it just becomes exhausting. I just want to be better. I want to be better for me and for everybody else. I want a better relationship. I want better finances. I want better health. And I, I just want more out of life. There's a, just an acknowledgement that I'm sick of fighting the reality. Instead, I'm accepting of that and I want more. I want to be better, not for even any other reason than I just want to experience more of that abundance that life has to offer for me as well. I think that I'm not sure if that simply answers the question, but I think that they're probably some good starting points. I think it profoundly uh, answered my question. So thank you for that. That was great. So what um, impact do you think spirit has had in your life? Oh, um, look, as, as confident as I am, and uh, as as um, as uh, as believing in myself as I am, I, I truly believe and and feel the quote, which is uh, you know from Mother Teresa. She says, "Be a pencil in the hand of God and write a new chapter in your life." And um, um, one of the prayers that I say before I get on stage is, "I'll pray to the angels, 
and I'll say, I'll, I'll speak to my guides and, and spirit and I'll say, watch over me, guide me and protect me, keep me safe. Allow me to do whatever needs to be done and allow me to say whatever needs to be said to be able to help these people make a change now. And then I just get out of the way. And so I can't honestly tell you that anything that I've accomplished in my life was of my own doing, but rather mm -hmm. that I was the, the, the sword for want of a better word. And certainly I'm not the hand that holds it. And, uh, and I, and I pray to be that I pray to be that, that, that light, that vehicle, that weapon, whatever the analogies you want to use. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's everything. And I think that um, there are times where I am deeply in tuned with that. Certainly when I'm on stage, it's just that that's there. When I'm facilitating, when I'm doing this work, it's there. There's other times when I'm trying to run my business that I'm not there and I, I, I hit my head against the wall for a couple of weeks and then I'm driving home in the car and then the voice comes to me, well, you've not asked for guidance here and you've not connected. Oh, fuck, okay, I realize I'm trying to do it on my own. So there's moments when I'm definitely out of that state and, um, and I've got to do more to, to, to be present to that and to come from that place as well. That's harder for me to do when I'm out of state in every possible way. Um, but I, I, you know, it, it, it is it's the the guiding force for me and um and all of the impact all of the good things that i've had in my life have come from being in that place for sure yeah it's interesting um obviously you and i have both interviewed you know many people over the years yeah and what you just said then is is almost the identical that um anyone who has got to that point in their life because it, it was almost identical for me you know as you well know i came from a business background yep had a major profound change in my life with the divorce, losing the business, rebuilding, all those things. And then, then came to, um, I guess, awaken and really want to do, do this work in the same way that you did. And then over the years, I noticed how connected I could be and how profound it felt and how amazing it felt inside the event to be the vehicle for that, to be yes. the, the, um, the arrow for that. Yes. And then I step outside of it and go back to how I used to be. Yeah. And um, again, as you, you know, correctly said, pounding, trying to make it happen, do those things until I got to a point where I guess I finally, you know, got a slap across the face and went, this is just ridiculous. You're like this inside the event. You have to become like this in your yeah. own life yeah. all the time not just part of the time. And I think the most profound is probably in the last decade for me, mm. where I have truly uh, done what you suggested, which is truly surrendered to that force, mm. to just allow it to, to guide my life and to be present in my life all the time. Mm. And that has just brought such um, abundance, not just in terms of wealth, because it's brought that too, but, you know, um, and I'm certainly blessed, and I feel blessed for that, but the abundance in terms of relationships, the people that surround me, uh, those that I have in my family, the clients that I have, um, you know, many of the who are, are listening to this right now. And I think that is a process that, that eventually you get to, you, you, you start doing it, you start seeing that um, impact when you do do it. And, you know, I'm guiding many clients to that. And it, and it is a process to be able to get to that point where you truly can go, it's not me. I'm, I'm just the vehicle for that. And when I get myself out of the way, life, just life, not just my life, but life goes so much better. Yeah, without a doubt. 
So I'd like to open it up. Uh, if anyone has any questions and, you know, please take the opportunity right now because you've got a unique opportunity to ask Callum some questions right now. So I think Katie, being oh. Katie has immediately put a hand up. I know, look, I have to tell you, Calvin, this, I haven't been on a, a satsang with Brett for a long time, have I, Brett? And um, I saw the little thing up and I'm like, Calvin who? I don't know who Calvin Coles is, but anyway... I trust Brett will bring somebody that will give me some value. And as soon as I got on, I'm looking at you going, I know this guy, but I don't know how I know him. And um, it, and then when you dropped an F-bomb, then I remembered <laughs> who you were. And I, I think I'd hopped on a webinar. So my, his, my background is um, cancer nurse for 30 years, gone entrepreneur and on a massive journey. And I've worked with Brett and Marie, you know, really intensely for the last six months, haven't I, Brett? And, Excellent. You um, have. I have, yeah. like, literally, I surrendered full in, Calvin. Right. And, um, and and when I, I was on one of your webinars at some stage, and I think you're the only person that I've gone, this is the guy that is resonating with me, right? And I think it was because you're English and because you're <laughs> F-bombing as well. And I'm like, well, this guy, you just, there's something about you. And then I kind of forgot who you were. Like, I forgot, I forgot you know, like in the whole craziness of entrepreneurship, yes. And I'm like, that's why I'm on this call, Brett, because I'd forgotten this man, right? And everything, like the notes, I had another appointment, but I just cancelled it because I needed to say thank you, Brett, for bringing this man in front of me again. And 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 the all, I mean, the notes I've written, Calvin, you know, ability to uh, respond, ownership, you know, the vision, um, aim high, play full out, surrender, work on it till you own it, like. The golden nuggets for me. Everything that you're saying is in resonation with what I'm doing right now. And, you know, I've been asked to write down, you know, what is my goal or, or the present tense? You've got to say it and you live it right now. And he, earn a heap of fucking money to change people's lives. Like, that's I love it. it. Do we need to go any further? Because I know that inside me and Brett and Marie, particularly Marie, sorry, Brett, but I've been working weekly with Marie. Um, I've really come out of myself into knowing that I have a purpose mm. and it's not really about money, but having that fucking money enables us to have the vision and to serve people. And I just want to say thank you for, for being here and for giving us so much value and thank getting you. back in my space. And Brett, again, you've done it again, man. Like this man, isn't this man a legend? Absolutely. So, you know, I really don't have any questions. He is a legend. I uh, know you are a legend, right? And, I, and I'm just going to keep following you again, Calvin. And who knows, we might work together at some point. I'm just trying to, you know, and I think the other thing that I've really learned, even in the last two days, is that it's all about attitude. You know, when we have the right attitude, we can change our lives by stepping into that positiveness and that away from that negative and being in that real state that you were talking about. You shift in and out of states, which is what Brett and Maria really showed me. Um, moving into that, you know, Napoleon Hill says it in, in his book, right? It, you know, it's all about that attitude and being able to step into it. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank, thank you for that beautiful words. That was beautiful. that was beautiful. Thank you. Anybody else would like to ask Calvin something? We all done? No? Renee? Hi. Hey. Hi, Renee. How are you, beautiful? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. I appreciate nice what you said. Thank you, Calvin. I guess well, my, my question is, how do you stay out of your comfort zone? 
good question. Like, how do you push yourself off the cliff constantly to step forward? Because I had hate that feeling, and I avoid it, and I'm yeah. I sit and get so frustrated with myself, yeah. but that doesn't give me the push to take any leap. Yeah, and I'm like uh, those mums. I use my children as the excuse to do something at times, but then I'll use them as the excuse to not do something. Yeah, great. I think there's um, there's a beautiful irony in the answer to the question, which is in the way that you asked it. How do I push myself off the cliff? You can't push yourself off the cliff. You can jump off a cliff or someone can push you off the cliff, right? So um, my answer to you is you've got to be surrounded by coaches and mentors to do it because there's, it just simply put, no one wants to do it. No one's going to naturally do it. You're always going to choose leisure over discomfort. You're going to do it every time. It takes a tremendous level of discipline and willpower to actively do that. And I'll be honest with you, I ain't got that. And most people that I know are successfully ain't got it either. So two things I would share with you. Number one is we talk about this word purpose. You know, you've, you see this time and time again, where you have a man or a woman that's in a do or die situation and they're able to do things that are unhuman, right? That you know, lifting a car or doing whatever they need to do. And then that power disappears afterwards. Why? Because they have a purpose. Purpose transcends the ego and allows you to get out of your own way. So for another word, the purpose effectively might be your vision. If you've got a strong enough vision, if you've got a reason why, or if you've got a, a purpose, and I'm not talking about, I want to you know, heal the world. I'm just talking about, I'm working towards something. If you've got a goal physically, you're going to get out of bed early on the morning and go to the gym instead of opposed to lying in bed, right? That makes sense. So that's a very important step is to have that and to make sure that's well calibrated and it's something that's very exciting for you and compelling. But outside of that, we have a tendency to do things that are only, we only tend to do the things that are absolutely necessary. So we have to find a way to manipulate our life in such a way and structure our life where success is a necessity, because otherwise it won't happen. If, if you've got a bill to pay and it's your standard, which you, you pay your bills and you have to pay a bill and it's an additional 10,000 and it's something that's completely out of the ordinary, you will find a way to make that happen. Not because you want to, because you have to. And so it's very important to structure your life in such a way where success happens just because it has to, not because you are, I want to be successful. No, I have to be successful. Otherwise my kids don't eat. Well, then you'll be successful. And that that's just structural. Uh, I think that's quite important. That might be, by the way, you know, designing your life where you, you do things in your life in terms of you do what you, know, what you do for work or what you do with people, uh, you know, in terms of your, your, your social group, where it's constantly putting you in that environment where it's out of your comfort zone as well. I don't think you need to always be out of your comfort zone. I think there's a desire of stretch yourself, calibrate, then stretch yourself, then calibrate. Because otherwise, if you're constantly just going from thing to thing, you're not actually going to ever feel settled or grounded. Um, and if I believe there's sort of five key areas of life, you've got wellness, income, love, lifestyle, and direction, you know, it might be, hey, right now, in order for me to go to another level, I need to push myself out of my comfort zone financially. Or it might be, I need to put myself out of my comfort zone in terms of my relationships or in terms of my body. Just finding one area will stretch you. It's like the tablecloth analogy is you lift one area up, everything changes. So the simple hack for me is number one, get yourself a compelling vision. Number two, if you want to put yourself out of your comfort zone, find a coach, find a mentor. Obviously you have Brett and, and just your, your surrender as, as Katie has. Um, you know, I'm training at the moment for a, a boxing competition, a fight in June, charity uh, fight. 
I'm acknowledging that when I go to the gym on a morning, I'm in a class, I'm training hard. And then I've been doing a second session on an afternoon that's more strength and conditioning. I'm knowing that I'm not really showing up 100% in those sessions because I don't have to because no one's there to hold me accountable. So I'm already thinking, okay, well, I know that that's the weakness. The strength would be find a personal trainer or a training partner that is going to you know kick my ass in that session because the goal is to get fit for the fight. It's not just to show up and you know, do the bare minimum. So hopefully that helps in, in that way, Renee. Um, I, that would be my, my, my take. I'm sure Brett has some thoughts on that as well, though. Well, I've known uh, Renee now for a long time. I think it was as Callum was talking, I think it's about 10 years, isn't it, Renee? Yeah, Millie will turn 10 in December. So, yeah, nine oh. years in June, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Calvin's initial um, guidance was around um, finding a purpose. And I, and I think you already had that. Um, and I was thinking as he was talking about uh, a saying that I, I really love, and I think it was by uh, Jelaine originally, take the leap and find out you can fly. Yeah. <laughs> Someone really... Famous just said, well, I think she's famous, said that to me on Monday. Unless you take the leap, you won't know whether you can fly. And another way of looking at that, um, Renee, is take the leap and believe that God will help you fly. Because if you truly say that you believe in God, you actually aren't if you don't take the leap. Because what you're saying is, I don't trust. And the other part of it is that it's very easy, as Calvin and I were talking about before, to fall into the trap that, of thinking that it's me that's doing it. And me is such a very limited, small concept. That resonated so taking, too, yeah. Yeah, and taking that leap and knowing, truly knowing and taking that leap that God is going to carry you, that God is going to do everything possible to help you when when you're intent you know in these satsangs we've talked a lot about intent it's not just the action that we're doing it's what is the intent behind the action when the intent is right that's when that god moves with us that's when everything moves with us it just flows with us and you can feel it as you have the intent so if you're going to say you believe in god then you have to prove that you do. And how you prove that you do is you go, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to take that leap. And I'm just going to believe and trust that it will happen. And then all excuses disappear. You just don't listen to the excuses. You just go with it step by step from two, two people, you know, that have done it and, and many others have, and you've done it at times. It's just not listening to that other voice that, that holds you back, that makes those excuses. And then, then it will definitely flow. So, so great question. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the answers. You're welcome, Renee. Pleasure. Okay, last opportunity. Any other quick questions for Kelvin before we wrap this up? Can I just say good okay. luck to the baby, Calvin? Because Thank you. you're, you're going to be such a top dad. Thank oh, you. Oh my that. gosh. You know, and they're the most that. beautiful things in our lives. So, Uncle Brad and Auntie Marie will be there to help, I'm yeah. sure. So we'll, yes. we'll, be, we'll be in good company. We'll, we'll hand you some uh, bottles and, and diapers to yeah. make sure you're well equipped. Yeah, you know, you keep them for when you babysit. Don't worry about that. We've got our own. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Thank you, everybody, for being here for the satsang. It's much appreciated as always. And I will see you again in two weeks' time. And uh, next week, we've got a very special guest uh, from Los Angeles, uh, Lisa Hay, which I know you're going to love. Oh. Uh, Lisa has just produced a brand new series uh, of which two very famous people that you know will be appearing in uh, on Amazon Prime and um, interview people like Joe Vitale and, and many, many others. She's actually just gone through... Uh, I think it was uh, literally a month, every single day of working with some type of practitioner um, across wow. all sorts of spiritual um, beliefs and manners, right? From yogis to gurus to people like Joe, uh, relationships, um, uh, Wim Hof with the ice baths and all sorts of things. So it will truly be a very fascinating talk. So I look forward to seeing you all then. Magic Thank you all. Bye. Bye now.